Jesus is the most important thing in our life and the subject, the avenue, the catalyst to that is the Holy Spirit and prayer. It's prayer. You know, prayer is an interesting topic because uh, so many people view it differently because everybody has different prayer experiences. The truth is, there are people here right now, uh, you maybe been here a, a week or two, whatever, and uh, you've actually never prayed. You've never prayed in your whole life, except, you know, maybe um, uh, for your favorite sports team to win, you know, but yours don't work. Mine work. Yours, yours, yours don't work. Uh, or maybe, maybe you prayed a foxhole prayer. Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Most, most people uh, have different experiences, and it's okay, because it's not based on whether or not you pray or not pray. The relationship isn't. You have the relationship first, and then God draws you in, see? Some people... Um, they pray, they have a, a system of prayer, they pray maybe every day or every other day, they've got something in their Bible, uh, they have a time and a place, which I think is really healthy, I can't go into some of that today, but you, you're praying people and you've grown up with prayer and you love prayer and the Holy Spirit. Some people here have what's called a gift of intercession, a gift of prayer, and they can pray for hours. There are people here in this room right now who actually have the ability to just like turn off their phone and, and cancel everything and just pray for three or four hours, you know? I don't, I don't have that gift. I mean, maybe you wish your pastor did have that gift where I could just turn everything off for three, four, five hours and seek the Lord. I don't have that gift because I, I wouldn't get anything done. I, I got stuff to do, you know, and, uh, but I, I do pray and I pray daily. But there's all kinds of different areas and giftings and experiences with prayer. Some people here, uh, you, you pray a little bit, but you you get really nervous in church. Like you've been to a church and you, you went to a church one time and what they did was they said, everybody break into prayer circles right now. And that's like your worst nightmare, you know, a prayer circle because you're, you're, you're an introvert, not an extrovert. So here's, here's a little test this morning. How many of you are, are self-proclaimed, you can't, you know it, you are an extrovert? You see, this is exactly what I'm, how many extroverts in the room right now? Okay. See, the extrovert, you can't even you can't even answer me without yelling. You have to you have to hoot. See, and it's like God put it in you, and it and it's and it's coming out. It's like revival. It's like, woo, you know, they recognize you took a personality test a few years ago, and it justified your extroverted way that you are. But then there's another group of people too. They're introverts. How many introverts? Do you know you're an introvert? Who are you in the room right now? Wave at me. See how quiet, see, how, see, see, oh, now the extroverts are laughing at their introverted husbands right now, okay? So, but you'll notice you didn't even, you didn't even talk, you lifted your hands slowly, like, you know, like this, like, like, is he, is he going to call me out? <coughs> Your worst nightmare is the prayer circle because, because in a prayer circle, you're worried that there's, I'm going to take just enough time to where the prayer will get to you and it'll be your turn. And you don't want to turn. And then the Lord, just to deal with you, he put you next to the extrovert who, who prayed for revival in the whole world. And uh, now it's your turn. You know, in all of that, you know, you know what, in all that, here's, here is, uh, because I could teach on so many things about prayer. And back in the 80s and the 90s with Larry Lee, and, and we knew Larry back then, and it was, can you not tarry one hour? And he 
He wanted everyone to, to pray for one hour, and I understand that, and I think it's good. But where we have to start is we start with the gospel, and we start with a relationship where Jesus came to you and lifted all of your sin off of you, and, and he paid the price so that you could go to heaven and have eternal life, and our response to that is, I want to be with the man who saved me. I want to be with him. I want to know him. I, I want him to, to speak to me. I want to, I want to be in his presence. I want to ask him questions. Because the, the birthplace of prayer is not in the time or the system. The birthplace is in the relationship. It's in a vibrant hunger and thirst to know the living God. And if you have that, everything else will fall into place. Prayer is... Uh, Prayer is not something that you have to beat yourself up over. But here's what I do know. I do know that God wants us to grow in relationship, number one, and he wants us to grow in prayer. Because this is the catalyst. You know, I do pray. Um, I, I think that, again, you in this series, I'll have to use this analogy because it's biblical. But it is like, like a marriage. Can you imagine if you married your spouse and you never spoke? If you marry your spouse and you never speak, then you know that there's going to be some issues that come up in the marriage. Okay, we've experienced this. And, and so we know this in culture. Well, when you get into a relationship with Jesus, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But there is a relationship just waiting to become so alive and so vibrant. Because Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is a person. We're not dealing with some uh, hyper-spiritual, uh, pseudo-relational uh, kind of God that wants us to go through some other avenue to hang out with him and to be in his presence. No, we're hanging out with a real person who wants to have real conversation. That's why you can talk about everything. Some of the verses I'm about to read to you uh, will say, pray about everything at all occasions. Why? Because that's the way that it should be. That's how a relationship is. My wife and I talk about everything. We just, we just talk all the time. Now, now, of course, you know, she uses more words than I use. You know, we had a moment this week. We, we were talking about how we relate together, and she pulled out her cell phone, and she looked at our text message thread. And I realized that in the text message thread, that she would, she, her threads would be quite long, like a, like a report. Uh, you know, like a, like a short novel. No, I'm just kidding. She would, she would and, then, and my answer would be, yep. Or then she would say a little more, and then I would say, i say, Yep. And she goes, isn't this the truth? So we actually pulled it out and we laughed at it. So it wasn't about, am I one word and she's 20 words? We were having a great conversation, communicating, because it's about the relationship. It's about, it's about that real internal Holy Spirit salvation, regeneration thing. And if you can grapple with the reality of what Jesus has done, Prayer becomes a lifestyle, not just a moment. That's why I pray about God. I pray to God for everything. You know, and the other thing, too, here is that, that if all we ever do is pray our list. Now, last week I, I talked about the list. If all we ever do is pray the list, then what we're doing is we're controlling the prayer. What we're doing is we're trying to, to control God in a sense because the needs are real needs that we have, but we never take the time to focus on the relationship. We only talk, focus on the need. And so what we're doing is we're building a need-based relationship. 
that's based on if I don't have this, then you didn't come through. If I don't have a breakthrough, then you didn't hear my prayer. And why did you answer their prayer, but you didn't answer my prayer? And all of a sudden, our prayers now become a checklist, you know? Um, my wife and I, uh, you know, I, I love to cook. I love to cook. I have ever since I was a kid. I grew up in a cooking home, uh, an Asian, Filipino, Hawaiian, American home. And uh, we cooked all the time. And my wife and I will take turns sending each other to the stores. Because she'll cook sometimes. I'll cook sometimes. But how many of you know you're always missing one ingredient, right? Or, or, or two, because, you know, you have to make two trips back to the store. Uh, what we'll do is we'll send each other to the store. So while I'm cooking or she's cooking, the other person will go to the supermarket. And then when we get there, she'll make a statement to me. I'll, I'll text you if I've forgotten anything else. And this is how people relate to Jesus. I'll text you if I've forgotten anything else. I'll let you know if there's anything that's not on my list. Remember, as if he doesn't know what we need. So if he already knows what we need, and the number one thing that we need is a relationship with him that's real, that's authentic, that's, that's passionate, that's based on, on the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit touching speaking, then everything else will fall into place. And then we take our lives and we discipline our lives accordingly because discipline is good. We all need a little more discipline in our lives. But it's birthed in something that's much deeper than how long you pray or did you fill out the prayer card that we gave you. It's, it's definitely more than that. So prayer. Prayer this morning for us. Let me, let me read you a few of my favorite quotes on prayer, Okay. And I've put these in other messages here and there, but I keep a list of them. Uh, let me go through a couple of them. No learning, no learning can make up for the failure to pray. No earnestness, no diligence, no study, and no gifts will supply its lack. Because prayer is building the relationship. So I can talk to other people about God. I can read a book about God. I can even get a master's degree or a doctorate degree in theology that has to do with religious studies that is birthed in who God is. But that doesn't mean that I know God. It just means that I know a lot about God. I know a lot about the president. I don't know the man. I know a lot about uh, uh, John, uh, John Elway and uh, Peyton Man Manning. I know about them, but I don't know the man. As a matter of fact, people every day, you go to the bookstore, you can, find, you can find biographies that were written about people because they study them and they get to know them, but they don't know the man. If you want to know the man, you have to read the autobiography, and that's called the Bible. And so we, we learn how to, to read the Bible, and we pray, and we build a relationship with the person. So there's nothing else that can replace that kind of relationship. Here's another one. I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. And I believe that. I'd rather teach ten men to pray, uh, ten men to pray than a hundred men to preach, because I know that in prayer there's something that gets birthed in the heart. There's something that God is doing relationally in the life of those people that are praying. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. Satan trembles. It doesn't, you know, the power of prayer is not based on how strong you are or how weak you are. It's not based on whether you had a good year or a bad year. The prayer and the power of the prayer 
is based on the sincerity and the relationship in the heart with a living Jesus who is powerful. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any county or, or country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. And I think historically, when you study this, you realize that it's true. There has never been a revival. There has never been any kind of move of God's spiritual renewal that was not first based in some kind of unified prayer. And we can study it all through history of the Welsh Revival, which affected Denver, Colorado, at one point in its history. But this is, this is what I believe. This is why we need to pray, uh, grab the prayer card, and just every day pray on that prayer card. Because I believe that when we come together in prayer, that God begins to move and shift because he knows that he's got a church that's ready to respond. Prayer and relationship ultimately is, a, is an avenue to become a responder. We're a responding church. So let's get unified. Can you believe for a, with me for a great uh, move of the Holy Spirit? Can we believe for our community? Can we believe for the church? Are you there? Come on. Let's believe for some people to find Jesus and be transformed. Let's come together, believe for the same thing, say the same things, work for the same thing, and watch what God can do with weak people on their knees. A man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by man. A man who is intimate Intimate with God will never be intimidated by man because you know who's in control. You know who's in charge. You know who's got your back. You know who's standing with you. You know who's leading and guiding and building. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of his, of his willingness. And this is, uh, this is a great one from Andrew Murray. Be, uh, beware in your prayers above everything else of limiting God. Not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Because you don't. Expect unexpected things above all that you can ask or think. So these are quotes, but this is also a quote. This is what I know about prayer from Scripture. Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 21, and I'm actually going to read a few extra verses here. They'll put verse 12 and 13 maybe on the screen. But I want to start in verse 12, and I want you to just look at something here. It says, And Jesus entered into the temple, and he drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling Dove. So he tur literally, he turned over their chairs. It's a great picture of Jesus. You know, Jesus is calm. You know, he always is wearing that robe, right? So I always got that robe on. Long hair. And, and this Jesus was a little ticked. Why? What, what could get God so passionate. Look here. He entered the temple. He turned over the tables and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. The place in the temple where the people were supposed to be relating to him, they had turned into a place of commerce. 
The temple was the place of relationship. The temple was the place of prayer. The temple was the place of testimony. When God healed you, you would come and testify and be declared clean in the temple. The temple was a place where the men of God were supposed to come in and lead the people. And It was a place where God's relationship with his people, the holy of holies was there. The, the curtain was there. The ark of the covenant, the, the place where God lived was there. And instead of relating to God, they actually had turned it into an intersection because people by the thousands every day would use it to walk through the different gates to just walk through and live their life. There were so many people crossing through that they turned it into a, a place with little tables and like a little fair and little things that you can buy like a Saturday market and, and then the, the priest would, you'd come to give your, give your uh, sacrifice with your lamb and the priest would say, oh, your lamb isn't a good enough lamb. He's not a good enough lamb to sacrifice to God, but I'll tell you what you can do. This actually happened. What you can do is, uh, I know a guy over here who's selling lambs from his, his lamb stand, and you go over there to the lamb stand, and then they would sell you the lamb, a perfect lamb, at an elevated price, and then the priest would get a cut of the money. This is what it had turned into. So Jesus, Messiah, God, baby Jesus, <laughs> Little baby swaddling clothed Jesus who was in the temple once when he was 12, but now he's like 30. He walks into the place where his father sent him, the place of relationship with God and the people he created it, and they turned it into a market, and the priests, the people who were supposed to be leading people into relationship, were stealing and using God's house for their own benefit and there was no relationship. But then, the Lamb of God, <laughs> come on, then the Lamb of God was standing there. They did not know in his presence that he was the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. He was upset because he wanted relationship. And he said, my house shall be called a house of, say it, prayer. My house shall become a house of prayer. I know that in the Bible that there's 377 references uh, to praise and 375 to prayer. And the two of them are often found together. And this is important because the more that you praise, the more that you, you thank, the more that you want to be with that person, the more that you pray, the more that you are thankful. And so praise and prayer are found all through the scripture connected together. I know that it's a house of prayer. I know that there's praise and prayer all through the scriptures. I know that Jesus, Jesus wanted relationship with us. And now let me finish here in the next couple of minutes. I may not get through all these points. I'll go quickly here because I want to pray together this morning. But let me give you a couple of thoughts on prayer. Just on what it is and how we're supposed to view it. Number one, prayer. We're supposed to pray according to God's will with confidence. I'll read this to you. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. So I'm confident when I go to God, this is why. That if I ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask then, we know that we have what we asked of him. So in other words, if I'm praying the will of God, then I know that the prayer is going to be answered. But the key to knowing the will of God is knowing God. It's knowing 
him. It's being with him. It's understanding him and how he works. So if we're spending the time with him and we're pursuing, we're saying, Jesus, I want to know your will in this matter. I don't want to do it myself. I don't want to figure it out on my own. I just want to do your will. Then the Lord says, okay, I have a responder. So now here's my will. And so then we're praying according to his will. And you can always trust his will. Why can you always trust his will? The reason you can always have confidence is because God will never lead us where God's grace cannot keep us. God will never lead you in his will to the place where his grace and his redemption and his his love and the Holy Spirit won't carry you. So we have his will and we have his grace. If he called you, he's going to empower you. If he asked you, if he sent you, he's going to get behind you and he's going to back you up. He will never send you according to his will where his grace cannot carry you. Number two, we need to pray with peace. Pray with the peace of God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends your understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. So people come to Jesus with prayers and they're anxious about their prayers because we have deadlines on our prayers or the prayers are are serious and we don't know what's going to happen. But in everything, we simply pray, we present, and we thank. And it's the hardest thing, for I I think, for us to learn is to thank him before the prayer is answered. We have to learn to thank God before he answers the prayer. Do you know why? Because the issue is gratefulness. The issue is thankfulness. Because when we pray, we're thanking him. We're saying, Father, even if this does not turn out the way that I want it to turn out, I'm thanking you because I know that your will is perfect. And if you can really lean on God's will, you'll have more peace. People go through some of the most difficult things in life that I've ever seen, but yet they have this amazing peace that I can't understand. How do they do it? Well, they've surrendered to the will of God, and they're grateful for whatever that will is. It doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean we don't lay hands on the sick. It doesn't mean that we don't believe for things. But at the end of the day, we're thanking him before he does it. Thank you, Jesus, because whatever happens right now, I know that it's your will but I also know the Bible says to pray. So we're gonna pray, and we, we, we go after our prayers. Number three, we pray in the Spirit with alertness and awareness. I love this in Ephesians chapter six, verse 18, because there's two things here. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That means pray for everything, with all kinds of prayers and requests, because that's relationship. But if you do that, you need to have something in mind. You need to be alert. Because what happens is when God's people begin to pray according to the word and according to his will, things begin to happen, and what happens? We're resisted. Be alert, because if you want revival, if you want renewal, if you want your prayers to be effective and fervent, and you want to see miracles, you want God to do something, then just be alert, because the enemy is not going to like what is happening. So we're not, we're not afraid of the enemy, but we're not ignorant of his devices either. So pray for everything, but get ready. Just get ready. Turn to your neighbor and just say, get ready. Get ready. Because God has a plan, and he's going to fulfill the plan through prayer. All right, number four. 
Pray trusting that God is your partner. Look what it says in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then at the end of the verse, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. In the same way, the Spirit helps us. We don't know what we're supposed to pray, but the Spirit himself. We need to remember that we are partnering with Jesus. We're not doing our own thing. We're not making up our own doctrine. We're not, we're not coming up with our own vision. We're partnering with him. We need to remember that when you're praying, always remember that Jesus is praying for you. I, I think it's great when, when the intercessors pray, but can I be honest? What really gives me confidence is that in the book of Hebrews, it says that there's an anchor that goes behind the veil and there is Jesus interceding for you and I. He's, he's up there, he's in here, he's praying for you, he's partnering with us. Everything that we do is a partnership. It's not a solo expedition. Number five, pray with joy and thanksgiving. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks. Now, if, you have, if, you're, if you're following in your Bible, these three things is another classic trifecta from Paul. He says, be joyful, he always uses threes, be joyful, Pray continually and give thanks. Be joyful, pray continually, and give thanks. If these three things are done, then prayer is always living and active. Because you're giving thanks, you're praying continually, and you have joy that in all circumstances, that it is God's will for you to do this. This is God's will, that you have joy. You have joy. I love happy people. I love happy people. My house is a happy house. Even when we pray, we have joy. But I'm telling you, you can't have joy unless you have gratefulness. You have to have all three working together. That's God's will that we have all three. How many of you like happy people? How many of you like happy, uh, happy prayers and family times and church times? I think we need to have more fun in church, by the way. And we will. Well, I have, a, I have a joy plan for all of you. Number six, this might be the most important, but pray with right motives. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you can spend what you get on your pleasures. What we often do when we pray is we pray for what we need or what we think we need and then God answers the prayer and then our motives get in the way of using what he gave us for the intended purpose for the answered prayer. Lord, I need all this stuff. He says, okay, I'm gonna, I, need to, I need you to do something for me. So pray and uh, stay plugged in because I'm gonna tell you what it is and then he gives it to us. We, we unplug and then we don't hear anything and then we start using the resources or whatever it might be on something other than what it was intended for. And so our motives are this pendulum. They're this plumb line in everything that we do in prayer. And I think that if our motives are right, God can then use us and we become responders to his will. This is what I want to do today. Um, I'm going to have the band. You can make your way up here right now. We're going to pray. We're a family for visiting today. Uh, We're glad you're here. Thank you for participating. Uh, We love you and we love Jesus and God's good to us. It's been a great journey so far. And it's getting better. Can I hear an amen? It's getting better. But I want us to pray together. I want you to sing.